we see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? Let's, this is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is, this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. He leads a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free, open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper? What, what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We, we want Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. People say, give us Barabbas. The Roman soldiers come up and they put the key in and they unlock Barabbas from his chains and shackles. And he walks down the platform, welcomed by all of his thug friends. Yeah, the people love me. Yeah, that's right. I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but all I know is my people love me. There seems to be no conscience in Barabbas. There's no record of him turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now, for you have set me free. No, I don't see any of that in Barabbas. And God knew that. Jesus stood there, silent, for he knew the will of the Father. He said, it's fine, Father. Let him have Barabbas. For Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free. No, 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 no. It was the love of the Heavenly Father. Allow me just to repeat those words one more time. Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like he was supposed to treat Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like he was supposed to treat Jesus. Just let those words linger with you for a second because they are extraordinary. This is the audacious claim of the gospel. It, it is. This is what the, the audacity of the gospel is, that it declares to you and I that while we were still God's enemy, God came to rescue us. That's what the gospel claims. It is an unbelievable claim that while we hated God, while we had disdain for him, while we wanted to be as distant from him as possible, where we sought to be our own gods and saving our own emptiness, while that was going on, he came to rescue us. This is the claim of the gospel. The, the gospel is a story of our rescue, not of our escape. The gospel does not tell us that we figured out a way to escape. The gospel tells us that he came to get us while we were bound, while we were bound. It says in Romans chapter five that while we were God's enemies, Christ died for the wicked. That's what it says. So I mean, there's just such clarity in the description, right? That we are enemies, we are wicked, and this is when he comes to us and stands on our stage beside us and becomes for us what we deserve so that we can in turn become what he deserves. In uh, Romans chapter eight, 
Paul describes uh, a little bit of, of how this reality of the gospel is a story of rescue and not of escape. He actually describes in, in, in clarity that, that even when given a means for escape, we didn't have the capacity to engage in the escaping. Even when given a way out, we were not able to take it. And so because we were stuck in a place of death, Jesus had to come and get us. Listen to this, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen now. For the law of the Spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So what set us free was the spirit of life, you understand? He set us free and he set us free from the law of sin and death, that to which we were bound, the the justice that we deserved. Now look at this, he says it here. For God has done what the law, this is the law of God now, the good law, what the law weakened by the flesh, our, our flesh, our sinful nature, our humanity, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and uh, in the likeness of sinful flesh, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. So in Romans chapter 8, what Paul is saying there is he's saying this, that the law was a means of escape from the law of sin and death, but our sinful nature made us incapable of even escaping. And so we could not escape. And so God came for us to rescue us while we were sin itself. He became sin so that we didn't have to be sin anymore. And he set us free. That's an incredible thing. Well, Paul doesn't stop there. And when he writes to the Ephesians, he takes us a whole nother level. And he says, no, 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 no. If you think that you and I were sitting back, longing for God, wanting out of this life of sin and death, desiring for God, but just simply didn't have the capacity for it. And so we wanted it. And because we wanted it so badly, he came and gave it to us. Paul goes, ah, wrong picture, wrong, wrong picture. Let me explain to you how deep this runs. Ephesians chapter two, you've probably heard this 20,000 times at Mosaic, that's okay, you'll hear it another 20,000 times because it is unbelievable. We couldn't come back to this enough if we tried in a lifetime. Listen to this, Ephesians chapter two, verse one, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Do you you get the picture it's painting there? Right? We We were chasing after the very thing we needed rescuing from and we were consuming it like it was life itself. And when anyone came to us to tell us leave it alone, we fought them. Like, get, get away from me. And then it says this, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. The story of the gospel is a story of rescue, not a story of escape. It is is the story of Barabbas on the stage, walking free because Jesus entered the same stage. And this is where the gospel makes its claims. If you've been at Mosaic for any period of time or you stay around here, you will hear us articulate the gospel over and over and over again week after week because it matters that much. And you will hear us say these words, the gospel is our soul rescue, it is our restored purpose, and it is our redeemed future. Rescued soul, restored purpose, redeemed future. This is the beauty of the gospel. That the gospel has come and and said to us that though you were not right with God and you were a child of wrath, the gospel has come and said the work of Jesus on the cross and resurrection has made you right with God. Your soul is rescued. Wow. But it's not done there. 
in the process of your lifetime, it is restoring you to your created purpose to know the intimacies of God and his freedom and to make God known, displaying him and his freedoms to the world. That's our restored purpose and it is being done in us. This is part of the claim of the gospel. And then your future is redeemed. You and I in Christ have received the full inheritance of Christ and so for all eternity we will be with God in that life. This is the gospel. And in technical or theological terms, we actually have names for each of these pieces of the gospel. This soul rescue that we talk about, the, the, the word we use in theological terms for that is justification. That, that we have been justified by the work of Jesus Christ. What justification means is that you are made right with or declared righteous or not guilty. So though we were guilty, though we were unrighteous, though we were not right with God, we have been made right with God because Jesus did the work that he did on the cross and in his resurrection. And so our soul rescue is our justification. Our restoration, we have a word for that as well, the continued work that is happening in us that will make us like Christ and continue to restore our purpose is called sanctification. It is the ongoing work of making you more like Jesus. And this is a claim the gospel makes that this is a work of the Spirit in you making you more like Christ. And then our ultimate end, experiencing the full expression of our redeemed future is glorification that we will live in a glorified world, a glorified body, a glorified life. This is the gospel. And the gospel matters a great deal because when you and I have clarity on our rescued soul, our restored purpose, our redeemed future, our justification, our sanctification, our glorification, then we live a life very differently than we otherwise would have. We live free, we live devoted to Jesus, we live on mission for the kingdom of God. So Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, this book of Galatians, and as we read the book of Galatians, you hear the passion of Paul as he's trying to unpack for the Galatian church this gospel that we have just touched on real quick. Because Paul understands if you get this gospel wrong, you get everything wrong. And if you get this gospel right, then everything else will fall into place. And so he's writing to the church in Galatia passionately about the gospel. And he launches right into the letter and he says the gospel matters. You can't take this lightly. You gotta dig in. You gotta, you gotta know. You gotta understand. You gotta, you, you gotta be part of this thing. The gospel matters a great deal and it matters that you get it right. And it doesn't matter who's getting it wrong and how important they may be. If they're not getting it right, then don't follow them. This is what Paul is saying. This is, this is the gospel. This is what matters most. And he writes to the church in Galatia with this kind of passion because he has personal ties there. Remember, Paul had traveled with Barnabas into Galatia. He'd gone to um, uh, Antioch of Poseidon. He'd gone down into Iconium, into Lystra, Derbe, other regions of Galatia, and he had preached this gospel. He'd planted churches there among the Gentiles and the Jews. They had come together under the gospel. He had discipled them. They had wrestled through the reality of justification through Christ alone. They had then wrestled through the reality of sanctification by the Spirit of God. Then they'd wrestled through the great hope of their future. There'd been a big wrestle about this idea uh, in Galatia on whether you need to live by the law in order order to enter into the gospel. So the question was this, Jesus justifies you, he makes you right with God, but in order to get Jesus, you need to enter through the Jewish way, the, the way of the law. This was the question. So do I need to get circumcised and live by the law and the sacrificial system, and by doing that, then I get to enter into Jesus who then justifies me? So that was one argument. The other argument was, once I've received Jesus as savior, Do I need to continue in circumcision, the law, and the sacrificial system to stay right with God? Yes, Jesus justifies me, makes me right with God, but then it's my responsibility being right with God to stay right with God by staying in the system. And Paul had written to them, and and, and, uh, not written to them, he'd, he'd spent time with them saying, no, no, you don't enter the gospel through the works of the law. The gospel fulfills the works of the law. It is your freedom. You enter the gospel, whether you're Gentile or Jew, you enter the gospel freely. And the gospel sets you free from the need of self-righteousness or self-justification or self-sanctification. And Paul's traveling around 
uh, on other missionary journeys, he gets word from Galatia. Some people have come back to Galatia and they've convinced the Galatians that though they now know Jesus, that they need to continue in the Jewish ways of circumcision and the law because otherwise God's favor will not be on them. M- maybe, maybe it's good that Jesus is their savior, but they, they, they need more. So Paul writes to them and he goes, you, you couldn't be more wrong about this. And as he writes to them, and he writes about how much the gospel matters and, 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 and how much it matters that we get it right and how much it doesn't matter who gets it wrong, but no matter how important they are, we don't follow that. He, he's now gonna begin in the book of Galatians unpacking the, the intricacies of the gospel. He's now gonna actually begin for us and go, I've told you it's important, I told you it matters, I told you gotta get it right, now let me show you what it is so that you can stay in it and get it right. This is what's awesome about the book of Galatians is now we're gonna spend a few weeks with Paul just unpacking for us in intricacy the beauty, foundation, and, and fundamental realities of the gospel. And and where Paul starts us out is in this foundational, fundamental reality of the gospel of justification. But he's gonna do it so beautifully in the argument. Because if you remember, if you were here last week, Paul used Peter as an example for the Galatians to show them that no matter who it is and how important they are, if they're not getting the gospel right either in the way they live or the way that they preach, that we have the responsibility to enter into their world and to say to them, you're not getting it right, you gotta get it right. In that same incident that took place that he was using as an illustration where Peter had separated himself from the Gentiles because some Jewish brothers had come up from Jerusalem and Peter feared what they might think of him because he was hanging out with unclean people, eating unclean food. He separated himself out and they went to a little secret house where the Jewish guys hung out and ate kosher food and didn't hang out with the unclean Gentiles. And Paul saw this and he was like, this is not the gospel. This is not the gospel. This is what the gospel has undone. And he stomps across the street into the house with the Jewish guys and Peter gets right in his face and goes, what are you doing, Pete? And he does it in front of all the other Jewish guys. And this little speech that he has, this little moment that he's using in this letter as an illustration that happened in the past, and he's saying, you remember when Pete came up to Antioch? I, I, I got in his face when this went wrong. He's now gonna continue the speech that happened in that room, and he's gonna use that speech to lay before the Galatian church and before us the incredible wonder of the justification that is affected on our lives because of the gospel. He's going to remind us that we are justified, our souls are rescued, we're made right with God because of the work of Jesus alone and nothing else. So grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians. Let's go take a look at what we discover as Paul continues his speech to Peter now in the little room with the Jewish guys. Now remember the context here, imagine yourself there. Paul's standing in a room, there's a bunch of Jewish guys around, they're all Jewish because they went there because they're eating kosher, separated from the Gentiles. Peter's the one he's having a direct conversation with, but the other guys are listening in. So he's speaking to all of them directly to Peter, okay? And in um, uh, Galatians chapter two, We're gonna be in verse 15, it's on page 631 of the Bibles we use if you're using one of those, 631. Otherwise, Galatians chapter two, verse 15. Now before we read verse 15, look at verse 14 as a reminder. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, or Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? So he's saying, you as a Jew can do Gentile things. How can you make the Gentiles have to live Jewish when when you don't even do it? I mean, Peter, you live in the freedom of the gospel, living outside of the Jewish structure. How can you make the Gentiles want to do this? This is crazy. And now look, right as he continues on, the speech just goes right on. He's still talking to Peter here. Look what he says. Verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. That's a strange way for Paul to step in, isn't it? He just said to them, how can you live like Gentiles and then make the Gentiles have to live like Jews? And then he goes, look, you and I both know we were born into the Jewish world righteous, unlike the Gentile sinners out there. Doesn't that seem opposite to what Paul's trying to present here? Uh, Paul's almost like now arguing for Peter. Pete, Pete, it's like like a little secret moment. Hey, we both know we're righteous 
and they're sinners out there. But here in this little secret room, let's be gracious to them. You think that's what's coming, but it's not. Paul is using that as a, a bait to say to him, oh, that's what we thought, but look what's actually true. Look what he says. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet, yet, there it is, that beautiful word. Yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. See what Paul's done here? He said, hey, hey Pete, remember? You and me, brother, and the rest of us in this room, we were born into the privileged life of the righteous, those who belong to God. We weren't the Gentile sinners. But do you remember what we discovered in our journey? Oh yeah, that's right. See, we might have thought that Jesus came to rescue the Gentile sinners, but we already had the law, so it was only our job to take Jesus to the Gentile sinners so they could have another way because they couldn't live by the law. But we didn't discover that. We discovered that what we thought was saving us, what we thought made us righteous, what we thought set us free was only preserving us for the redemptive work of Jesus. It was actually not setting us free at all. He's saying to Peter, though we thought we were born into the Jewish world as righteous, unlike the unrighteous Gentiles. Yet what we discovered was that the Jesus they needed was the same Jesus we needed because their justification, being made right with God, was through Christ and not through works, just as our justification, being made right with God, was through Christ and not through works. This was equalizing. It equalized the field. It said that there is no humanity that is righteous and unrighteous. There is only humanity that is unrighteous. And there is no means by which we humanity can make ourselves righteous before God, make ourselves right with God. We cannot do that. And Pete, of all people, you and I, we discovered this. We know this. We were in the council of Jerusalem wrestling with us. Can you hear Paul's frustration in the room? Just sharing with Peter something that should be clear as day for Peter. Trying to remind him, don't you remember what we've already gone through? Now, Paul is going to step into the next part of this argument that he's having with Peter. And he's about to just throw down, man. I mean, it's going to be awesome. But I'm going to give you a heads up, okay? We use the ESV version of the Bible because it is a version that is very close to the original languages, especially the Greek. We love that about it, but it still reads pretty easy. Not quite as easy as some others, but the others that read easy aren't nearly as close to the Greek and original languages as this one. So this is a nice bridge between a close to the Greek version and yet an easy reading version. But because it's so close to the Greek, at times you're gonna bump into a passage where the wording in English is so complex because there's so much in the Greek it's trying to describe that it gets sort of all crazy, okay? And so we're about to enter into a little section here where when you read it, you're gonna be like, what just happened? And we actually, we actually toyed with doing a, a different version just for this today, but then we're like, you know what, let's just stick to this. We'll explain it as it goes. So let me show you what I mean, okay? The English gets a little complex here because they are staying true to the original languages. Verse, we're in verse 17 right now. Now Paul says this to Peter. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. That was clear, was it not? I mean, that that made sense to you, right? Don't lie, it didn't make sense to you, it didn't make sense to me. I'm like, what on earth is he saying? If in our endeavor to do this justification, Jesus is now a servant of sin, not at all, uh, I'm a transgressor. And you're like, what is he saying? Well, let me explain to you as you look at other versions and as you study the original languages, what's going on here. See, Paul is speaking to Peter And he's now presenting an argument here for the reality of walking into the world of the Gentiles and bringing them in under the gospel. And he's gonna say, if we live under the law still, if the law is the means by which we are made righteous, then what Jesus called you and I into, Peter, 
What he told us to do is by definition undoing the law that keeps us righteous, which will make Jesus a servant of sin. Here's what he means. When Peter was in Jerusalem, do you remember what Jesus told Peter to do? It was in a dream. Uh, This blanket thing came down and a bunch of unclean foods came down, right? And Peter wasn't going to touch him. And he thought he was being all good with Jesus. Oh, it's a test. It's a temptation. I'm not eating the unclean stuff. And then the dream happened again and God said, eat the stuff. And No, I'm not doing it. And it's, It's a test. And then eventually God was like, no, eat it. Because I'm showing you something. I'm going to send you to Cornelius' house, which is a Gentile. You're going to walk into an unclean situation. But now that the gospel is here, now that Jesus has fulfilled the law and has expanded uh, the wonder of the law into the gospel, you can walk into these places. They are no longer unclean. This is where you bring redemption, right? So who called Peter to the Gentiles? Jesus did. And in doing so, if the gospel is not the measure of our righteousness now, but the law is, Jesus would have been telling Peter to do something sinful. And who called Paul into the Gentile world? Jesus, on the road to Damascus, remember? He rescues Paul and he says to Paul, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. I'm going to send you into the unclean world, and that's where you're going to go carry the gospel. So Paul is talking to Peter, and it's Peter and Paul uh, right there, and they were both distinctly called to the world of the Gentiles in unique ways, uh, calling them out of the structure of the law for that. And Paul says to Peter, Peter, think about this. If we are still living under the law, if we're still being justified by the law, if it is still the law that measures our righteousness, Then when Jesus called us out of the comfort zones of the law into the Gentiles, that would make Jesus a servant of sin. But Jesus himself called us in our endeavors to walk into bigger things than the law. If our endeavors, in our endeavors to be justified in Christ, that is to follow Jesus, we actually walked into the very things Jesus called us into, it would make Jesus a servant of sin. Is Jesus a servant of sin? No. So he's using this argument to say if Jesus called us into that, then Jesus is the one laying before us the reality of how this life plays out now. And then Paul actually goes on right there to say this. He says, whoops, lost my space. He says this, listen. For though, I mean, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Here's what Paul's saying. If I am called out of the comforts of the law into the Gentile world by Jesus, and then when I get there, I simply rebuild the law under which I originally lived, all I'm gonna end up doing is proving that I'm a sinner and proving that they're sinners. That's all the law is gonna do. If I come and rebuild what Christ has torn down in me, then I rebuild the very structure that proved me a sinner, and then I stay a sinner. What Paul is saying here is, listen, the law played an integral part in my justification insofar as the law showed me that I need to be justified. The law did not justify me. It simply became the mirror in which I realized I was a transgressor. Once I actually entered into the law and entered into myself, I realized I was not living by the law. I was living under its weight and it was condemning me. The law is what put me to death. The law is what showed me a sinner. And when I discovered that, and I discovered Christ as the Savior, I died to the law so that I could come alive in Christ. I had to say, the law showed me that I'm a transgressor, but the law could not save me from being a transgressor. So who is going to save my soul? The law cannot. So I died to the law so that I could come alive in Christ. I'm getting ahead of Paul. Actually, he said all this in the next verse. Take a look. Verse 19. For through the law, through the law, because of what the law showed me, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Paul is doing something extraordinary here right now. He is telling us through this argument with Peter that in order to fully understand the claims of the gospel, we must realize that it is Jesus and Jesus alone and the work of Christ alone 
that makes us right with God. So if we use the law in any part to make ourselves right with God or to earn God's favor, then we are actually undoing the claim of the gospel that Christ alone is our salvation and it is through Christ alone that we are made right with God and therefore it is through Christ alone that we have favor with God. And so he says, in some ways, in order to live fully in the gospel, you must first die fully to the law playing any part in making you right. You must die to the law. Now, now just just to set you at ease for a second, Christ is not going to tell us, nor is Paul, that the law is now useless and we should not live in any way by the law because that's bad. You should live lawlessly because you can taste it, can't you? It's almost a lawless gospel, but it's not going to be. Paul is going to circle back in the book of Galatians and deal significantly with how the law still matters deeply and that now that we are in Christ, justified by Christ alone, we can actually live with the tool of the law in a righteousness as an act of worship toward God rather than an act of self-righteousness to earn God's love. Podcast that, you'll catch it. (laughs) And so what Paul is saying here is, in order to live first in the gospel, I must first die to the law. I must recognize its flawed reality and die to the law. Because the law was good, but I was flawed. So I could not use the law as an escape from sin and death. And Paul says, if I start preaching the law again, as a means to justification on any level, or as a means to sanctification on any level, then I am only proving myself a sinner once again. And I already know that. And then he says this. This is the reality. He says, I'm not gonna teach the law again because this is what actually happened. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Man, can you just hear it over and over again? The the, the gospel claim begins foundationally, fundamentally at this statement. He came to rescue you. You did not escape. You did not run to him. He came to rescue you because of his great love for you. He did not come and rescue you because of your great love for him. He came to get you because he loved you, because he loves you. And Paul says, listen, the life I now live, now that I don't live under the law, I've died to the law, but I live in Christ, this is the life I live now. My freedom, my righteousness, my rightness with God is a direct result of the work of Jesus Christ and his love for me, and I live by faith in that and that alone. I have no fallback, Paul says. I have no fallback. Either Jesus is the Messiah who came to rescue me, and because of his great love, I am saved, or I am dead. Those are the only two options on planet Earth. Because the other option, which was be righteous by the law, I have already figured out that's a no-go. That's just a no-go. That cannot happen. That is not possible. You and I cannot and will not ever earn the right to be loved by God. We cannot and will not ever earn the right to be loved by God because we cannot do it. But we don't have to because God gave us that right as a gift in his rescue of our souls. So Paul is adamant about this. In fact, so adamant that he ends this way. I love Paul. He's just like, I'm not going to mince words. I'm going all the way. Look at this. Verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God in these statements I'm making. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. You see how adamant Paul is about this? He goes, guys, guys, if you or I could on any level at any time accomplish the escape from sin and death through the righteous requirements of the law, then the act of God dying for us, breaking for us, was useless. Why would he go through that if there was another way? Don't you remember Christ in the garden? Sweating blood? If there's another way, Father... If this cup could pass, Father, may it pass. Well, they they, they could get there through the law. Really? Well, then why am I here? 
See, see Paul says, see it's, it would be useless. Remember that the creator and sustainer of the universe, the triune God that we know and serve, he had himself torn apart by sin and death so that we wouldn't have to be. When the son was separated from the father in the death on the cross, the triune God tore apart for us. It wasn't just the son suffering while the father watched. It was our God tearing himself apart because sin tore him apart and allowing that so that we wouldn't have to. It was our God walking onto our stage of death, us shackled in our shackles, bleeding and ready for crucifixion and walking onto our stage and saying, you are free to go because I am bound for you. And we walked off that stage and didn't even really wanna follow Jesus, did we? I mean, are you not still struggling with following Jesus? I am. I mean, most days I just wanna follow what I wanna follow. And I've known him for years and years and years. We don't walk off the stage, fall down in worship, and for the rest of our lives, we do whatever Jesus says. We walk off the stage like Barabbas and go, oh, friends, hugs, kisses. Let's go live life, party on. And while we're at the party, Jesus has been crucified. That's true for most of us, for all of us. And then we slowly come awake by the power of the Spirit to what's actually occurred. This is the gospel. I was driving in the car uh, this week back from a carpool. Uh, two of my kids go to a school in Orlando and so uh, we carpool and on, uh, I'm driving back and so it's my 14 year old daughter and three of her friends, they're in the car and we're, we're driving back and the girls in the back, they're having this conversation, uh, ongoing conversation about I don't know what, you know girls, I mean they just talk about stuff. And uh, so one of them says something that one of them kind of disagrees with but it's all in jest now, they're having this sort of in jest conversation and one of them jokingly says, uh, be careful, liars go to hell. Now, they didn't mean that. They know th- these, these particular girls, they know the gospel well. So they just said that. And then they were making these jokes about you know, going to hell if you lie. And then one of them said, I wonder if, they, they, I think there's a verse in the Bible that says that. So they're searching through the Bible to find the verse that says if you're a liar, you go to hell. And they find something in Revelation and they're having this. And one of the girls says something like, well, uh, you know, I mean, we don't, we, don't actually, we don't actually go to heaven or hell because of things we do. It's, it's because of what Jesus did for us. So one of them kind of clarifies that in the jest conversation just to make sure no one's getting serious about it. And so in that moment, I take the opportunity like I always do. And, and I go, hold on a second. I'm driving down 408 and I go, hold on a second. Are, are, you, are you suggesting, are, are you saying that no matter how we behave, no matter how badly we fail, no matter what we do that wrongs God in some way, that we just, we just get to be with God forever because Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again and because we have him as Savior? Are you telling me that just because we have Jesus as Savior, that that's enough, that you don't have to behave beyond that in any way to earn the right to be made right with God? And I, I, say, I said it very like questioning, like what? Did I just hear you say that? And of course, there's all sorts of backpedaling, you know? Uh, I, don't, I don't know, I don't, I, didn't, I don't think I meant it that, no. And, and they start talking back and forth like, no, no, I didn't, I, I guess, I think I, no, I, I don't know. And after about a minute and a half of this struggle in the back seat, my 14-year-old daughter goes, he's kidding. <laughs> so I said to the girls, listen, the next time somebody asks you that question, are you telling me that no matter how big you fail God, no matter what decisions you make, no matter what devastating realities in your behavior occur, no matter where you've come from or where you're going, are you telling me that just because Jesus came to planet Earth, died and rose, and you were awakened to that by the Spirit of God, and he is your Savior, just because of that, you get to be right with God forever and be with him forever? You answer them unapologetically and loudly, yes, that's what I'm saying. Because that's, that's the gospel. You have to hold on to that because it is gonna be hard to believe because you're gonna feel like you're supposed to earn it, but you don't. That's what the gospel says, it's insane. But that's why it's rescue and not escape. And this is what Paul is writing. But, but he's not writing to people that don't know this. He's, he's talking to Peter for crying out loud. 
Peter already knows this. He's writing to the church in Galatia. The church in Galatia already knows this, so why is he writing this? Well, granted, Peter's acting a little crazy and the church in Galatia's acting a little crazy, so he's not telling them this because they don't know this. He's telling them this because they've forgotten it. And you see, that's what this is all about for us. Some of you here, this may be the first time you're hearing this reality of the gospel. This may be the first time you're going, oh, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, I'm confused. I don't understand. Are you, are you saying? Yes, we're saying. And if this is the first time you are encountering this reality, man, this is going to be a wild adventure for you. Trust me, I'm on it. And I would encourage you, grab a hold of this moment, dig deeply, think about this, find someone here to talk to, come talk to one of us, because if you are just emerging into the newness of this reality of the gospel, you are in for the wildest ride of your life. A freedom you cannot now imagine, because I have not even yet imagined it and I live in it. But for many of you here, this is old hat. This is not new news. <gasps> Justified by Jesus alone, I had no idea. No, 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 you're like, I got that part, Renaud, check. Jesus is the only way, check. Jesus set me free, check. It's not by the law, check. I, I, I got it all. But you see, Paul is not writing this to Peter or not arguing this with Peter or writing this to the Galatians because they didn't know it. He's writing it to them because they'd forgotten it. Peter is reminding, uh, Paul is reminding us to remember the gospel. Because you and I, like Peter, like the Galatians, oh, we forget this. Oh, we forget this in a day. You and I, we, we enter our day, enter our circumstances, enter our complex relationships, enter our challenging resources, and before you've blinked your eye, you have forgotten that your soul was rescued by the work of Jesus Christ alone that your purpose is restored and your future is redeemed. And he rescued your soul because of his great love for you, not because of your great love for him. And that he loves you because he loves you, not because you love him. Not because you've treated him well, not because you've deserved his love. He loves you because he's that good. And we forget that. And so we either begin to act out in a self-righteousness or we begin to act out in a self-proclaimed shame. This is where we live. You see, when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross on our behalf, when we stand on the stage in shackles like Barabbas and we look across and we see Jesus and we are awakened once again every day to what he is doing there for us and we are waiting for the keys to unshackle and we know we're gonna walk off the stage into freedom while he stays on the stage of death. When we see that and we go, this is what he's done for me. What does it birth in us? What does it birth in us when we remember the gospel in its rescue, in its justification? It births humility in us. Do you, do you feel it? We are humbled by that. We do not deserve this, Jesus. Why, why me, why now? We are humbled by that. And so we live in that humility as we enter our relationships, as we enter our circumstances, as we enter our resources. We live in this deep humility that he has set me free because of his love for me even when I hated him. But it doesn't just birth humility, it births freedom, doesn't it? Because you feel the shackles fall and you go, I didn't earn this. I didn't do anything for this. And he goes, enter your life and do not be anxious for anything. Because it is not your circumstances or your resources or your relationships that will make life good for you. They may be good at times, they may not. But you are free because I set you free. We live in a state of humility, in a state of freedom, and then that birth is a state of worship. We are in awe of God, and so we walk around in this state of worship. Romans chapter 12 verse one says it beautifully. Therefore, dear brothers, in view of God's mercy, there it is, his rescue of our souls, present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. You see, Paul is writing a, 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 a fact. He's saying when you have a clarity on God's mercy, here's what results in the human heart. You present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, uh, because this is your act of worship. 
You do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but you are transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you would know the will of God, the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. This is our life when our eyes are fixed on the mercy of God. This is why Paul is starting out by reminding the church in Galatia, you have forgotten that you were rescued by Christ alone because of his love alone. When you forget that, you always end up moving out of humility, out of freedom, and out of worship. And what do you move into? You move into arrogance or you move into shame. Those are the options. Either we become so arrogant with our lives that we, we begin to earn rights again from God. We begin to push harder, work harder, be more effective, be more strategic, be more game, be more on, give more, work, work, work to prove to God that we are good enough. To prove to others that we are good enough. To make ourselves known as good enough. This is what we do. Peter did it. I'm not going to hang with the Gentiles, man. Go, go hang with these people. And our arrogance becomes judgment. We look around at the people around us and go, I'm, I'm good enough. But you, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. Our arrogance leads to judgment. And we demand from those around us the same thing we feel is demanded from us when we forget the gospel. God demands us to earn his love, so I demand you to earn mine. And if you don't earn my love, I ain't gonna give it. You don't deserve it. This is how we live when we forget the gospel. Or we fall into shame. We forget Christ's rescue and we start this, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. You don't understand. You don't, know, you don't know my story. You don't know where I come from. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I currently think. You don't know the way I look at people. You don't know the things I think. I'm in traffic. You don't understand. Murder is on my mind. That's a joke. I mean, it's real, but I'm saying that's not even that bad. We think much worse things than that. That's fairly normal. And we think to ourselves, I'm not good enough. We, 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 we have the we have the audacity to stand before Jesus and say, your work was not great enough to rescue me. Your love not big enough to rescue me. See, because I know. And you know what happens then, oddly enough, watch this. Our arrogance, our self-righteousness, our desire to earn the right to be loved by God leads to judgment, but shame also leads to judgment, funnily enough. Because when we are in shame, then we shame others. Because any time we can make someone else be worse than us, it makes us feel a little bit better. And so we begin to, we begin to look at others going, you, you, I, I'm bad, but you're worse. <laughs> I'm bad, but you're worse. I, I, I'm not getting it right with God, but you, you are worse. And so I'm not gonna love you. I'm not going to step in your, I'm not gonna treat you right because you don't deserve it because I don't deserve it. And so any time we forget the gospel, we move out of humility, out of freedom, out of worship, and we start treating God differently, either trying to earn his love, so we work, 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 work. Come on, God, love me, love me. Or we hide from him. Have you ever lived in distance from God because of some shameful thing in your life? Oh, I, 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 don't, I can't be close to God. We live in distance because clearly we, we don't have the right. So we treat God differently. Then we treat others differently. We live in judgment toward everyone, demanding from them their right to, to earn our love. And we treat ourselves differently. We either live in shame and fear or in arrogance and pride. But when we remember the gospel, all that goes away. It does. And suddenly, in our humility and in our freedom, we start treating God differently. We worship him. We start treating others differently. They don't have to earn our love. We give it freely. They don't have to earn the right. They, they don't have to have behaved correctly or not done to us what they shouldn't have. We are free to say, I love you because I am loved. And we treat ourselves differently. We walk with confidence and freedom, not in our own self-righteousness, but in the deep awakening of the stage we once stood on where Jesus stood with us and let us go so he could take on what we deserved. And the words ring in our ears, don't they? Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat 
Barabbas, like Jesus, to you and I, because of the great love of God, we have inherited the full inheritance of Christ because he took on the full wrath of God for us. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. It's, it's hard, Father, to even stand here and actually meditate on those words and not be moved to a, a brokenness, a, a, a humility, a, a, an awe, a worship. What you have done for us is unthinkable, almost so too good to be true that it can't be true, but yet it is true. And so we stand here just for this moment we just worship you. We just worship you. You are good. You are so good to us. And we worship you. Thank you for coming to our rescue when we did not have the capacity to engage in our escape. Thank you for coming even when we hated you. Thank you for walking onto our stage of death so that we could walk onto your stage of life. Would you remind us this day and this week of our rescue, our justification, that we have been made right with you because of your great love for us, not because of our great love for you, so that we might walk into our life this week in an attitude of humility, an attitude of freedom, an attitude of worship and that we would abandon our arrogance and our shame. We would abandon the judgment by which we judge those around us, demanding from them that they should give us what we want so that they can earn our love. And walking into our circumstances and our resources in fear and anxiety because we still wait and hope that maybe if we do well enough with them, you will love us well. Teach us, Spirit of God, that your delight in us is a consequence of your love for us. That you do not delight in us because we prove anything to you. Set us free. Set us free with the gospel, the reminder of the gospel. We love you, Jesus. Amen.